Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Smarty Pants, the podcast of the American Scholar magazine. I'm your host, Stephanie Bastek. When we talk about climate change and conservation, animals tend to steal the show. It is pretty hard not to cry at the story of the last white rhino or the colorful little frogs decimated by logging in the Amazon. But the extinctions happening on a daily basis all around us that affect us the most, those are actually plants. Horticulturist Carlos Magdalena is on a mission to change the way we see the flora all around us. First captivated by the bogs and flowers of his native Spain, Carlos has since traveled the world from the Amazon to Australia in search of exotic species. But a lot of his work takes place in the greenhouses and aquatic laboratories of the Royal Botanic Gardens at Kew, where he's become known as the Plant Messiah famous for using groundbreaking left-field techniques to save species from the brink of extinction. It's especially impressive since Carlos does not have a PhD in biology and came to be a senior horticulturist at Kew Gardens in a somewhat serendipitous way. He joins us to talk about his new memoir, fittingly called The Plant Messiah, a nickname he has since embraced in his mission to spread the good word about green things. Thanks for wading out of the water lily pool to talk to us, Carlos. Uh, no, thanks to you for inviting me. So since you were nicknamed the Plant Messiah, you've really come to embrace the title and all its responsibilities, a great deal of which must involve evangelizing for plants. So why are plants so important? Uh, uh, well, wake up in the morning and start counting how many plants do you use in a, in a day, you know, and then you... You will probably realize that you wake up in a, in a bed which has cotton as a linen, and then you will maybe have a coffee, maybe with sugar coming from sugarcane or maybe beetroot. Maybe you have some milk, and then this comes from cows which have been grazing on plant stuff. And then probably before you blink, you have used them 15 plants before you maybe reach into work. So... So this makes the point that the plants are really important to us. You know, you don't need to, to just appreciate the beauty of them, just to, to, to realize the, the usefulness to humankind. At all levels, you know, plants give us uh, plenty of uh, materials and medicines. You know, three out of four medicines have been found in plants. They produce uh, all the food, really. They are the primers of the food chain on, <coughs> on our food systems. You know, we eat plants or things that eat plants. Um, 
and so on, you know, and I even into the arts, you know, if you if you think about things like impressionism and water lilies and Monet, uh, that will be just one of the many things that plants have given us, you know, inspiration, medicines, fuels, fibers, food, you name it. So if plants are so central, why do plants need a messiah? What what do you do, I guess, to to publicize and protect plants? Well, uh, first of all, uh, three, uh, there is about 370,000, 400,000 plant species, of which one out of four, one out of five is endangered. So there is about 80,000 plant species which are uh, uh, threatened with extinction. And then we are losing them at an amazing pace. So I think you need somebody, and better more than one person, you know, you, you re we really need lots of people working on this to avoid this loss of resources, really. It's not just the altruistic, uh, typical conservation approach, you know, it's something which is vital to us and to our economies. And uh, there was this moment also which I realized that they could make a much bigger difference than any other field of conservation. Because, you see, in the Royal Botanic Gardens queue, we, we cultivate about 18,000 types of plants. Uh, so I can be working on the conservation of uh, hundreds of plant species at once, which is something which I cannot do so easily with animals. So there is plenty of stuff there to do, and then suddenly I feel like we need many more people working on this. Right. One person can't save all of the plants in the world, for sure. No, that's that's quite clear to me. That's why I, 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 it's one of the main reasons I decided to write the book, you know, just to kind of use a little bit this kind of character, the plant messiah, just to what a horticulturist can do for you, no? Uh, from preserving individual plant species to training other communities to help uh, planting back forests to, to even uh, discover new plant species. Right. Um, can you talk a little bit about how, I mean, we think of places like the Amazon, for instance, or Australia, and huge changes in the ecosystem, you know, burning, destruction, logging. But even your hometown was hugely affected by politics and was changed even in the past century. Yeah, sometimes we don't realize, but uh, we have impacted the environment much more than we may think we have known. You see, in places like where I am from, there is these kinds of corners in the mountains where everything seems to have been frozen on time next to areas which are highly industrialized. So for me, it was quite easy to understand what has been changed and what hasn't been altered. And then one of the things you realize is that most of the well-preserved places where I am from, they are in very inaccessible areas of the mountains because if we had more accessibility, we would have destroyed it. You know, if it wasn't in the last decade, it would have been in the last 200 years. So I, I, I think we are transforming the planet beyond belief. And then I have always the feeling that it could be transforming a much better way. You know, you, you can destroy nature, but you can also create it. And, and even in the, in the case that you need to really heavily transform it, there is always ways which uh, you, can, you can mitigate the effects of what you do. Right. And that's part of your work at Q. Um, but I really had no idea how much goes on there. You know, you see the greenhouses, you see the beautiful plants, you see the wonderful grounds, but there's so much going on behind the scenes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, there is there is lots more than it meets the eye with Q, really, because, you know, you, you have things like, for example, the herbarium. 
They have 9 million specimens, which are dead, but they are the basis for plant taxonomy. You know, how many species are there? where they are distributed but then there is even more than that because you see nowadays taxonomy has become quite complicated and then you you also need to look at things as, as molecular um, biology you know you need to look at the dna of things to know how they are related to each other and and nowadays you you need to incorporate this in the in the in the taxonomy and the classification you know it's just like a little bit of Um, molecular data with a little bit of field information with a little bit of normal morphology that everybody can see where you actually can really be sure what is a species and what is not. Um, there is also a lot of uh, research going on into other areas of science. It sounds like a gardener's dream, but part of your story is really intimately tied up with this, the story of this one plant, um, for which I think is part of the reason why you're called the plant messiah. Um, Ram, I'm going to butcher this. Ramos Mania Rodriguezi, the Café Moron plant. Is that right? Yes, yes. Well, that was interesting, isn't it? Because I go to queue, I get amazed with the place. But anyway, you find a newspaper in the tube which was left over by somebody and then you start reading and then surprise, you know, one of the articles there was an article about this plant species. There was only one plant left in the wild and then even though they were cultivating them in queue by, you know, propagating it by cuttings, it never set seed and then it was bound to survive always in captivity and then they branded uh, something like the, in the lines of the living death plant, you know, like there is a specimen living but then the species is dead as a species because it cannot reproduce in the wild so that was part of my wanting to come back you know i realized like oh this plant is fascinating the newspaper said that it wasn't displayed in the in the pal house and then i hadn't seen it so both things were kind of tied up one with the other and then surprise day one in queue they put me in a glass house and then this plant is also being grown in there So I got quite of uh, an obsession with this plant. And then after a few months of trying different things, I managed to, to find a way of cracking the way of getting seeds out of this plant. Um, and it, it, it was quite amazing. The links uh, on how I, you know, this plant gets me into queue somehow. And then I go and do something for the plant and then the seedlings turn up to come up in different ways so there is a different form which germinates from seed which is the female form which we didn't know about it and then you you restore the viability of the species and that therefore can be uh, put back in the wild and then here we go back to Rodriguez Island where this plant grows and and, and then a lot of adventures start from there. So it's, it's interesting how one thing gets you into the other one and, and then, you know, it's just like you start pulling the string and then co-workers that I was a bit successful at propagating plants. And that was the first of a few other breakthroughs I did with some plants and that was the origin of the, of the branding of the plant masaya. <laughs> so what's the secret of plant propagation? Is there, like, how many different ways are there of propagating plants and how common is it to, like, bring a plant back from the land of the living dead? Um, well, you will be surprised. Sometimes it's incredibly easy. I have had cases in Mauritius where there is the last plant in the wild or the last two, and then you just go and take a cutting. and then. But there is, basically, if I have to 
to explain this to someone, I think I will divide them in two main types. You have the clonal propagation, which will involve things like cuttings, grafting, uh, division when it's a, it's a grass, or maybe, you know, when you have a bulb which starts putting small bulbils at the base. So this um, has uh, the, the power that you actually are cloning the, the plant. You know, everybody was like super excited when they clone a sheep, but then people, including my mom, was cloning plants in the kitchen for a very long time. Nobody seemed to realize that plant cloning is something that everybody can do in their kitchen. So that's the first main group of propagation. The other one will be sexual reproduction. This will involve in, in, in flowering plants, will involve seeds or spores, for example, in the case of ferns. In that case, you get something which is the same species, but they are not identical with the mother plant which they came from. So all of these, uh, in one hand, there is different ways you can propagate a plant, which you have different options, but then depending on what you do, you may have some advantages and some inconveniences, if, if you know what, what I mean. Because um, everything has a, a downfall, you know? Like, uh, for example, if you propagate always something from seed, you may start... Uh, selecting artificially traits which maybe are more popular in horticulture and then you lose part of the genome of the plant in the long run. If you propagate by cuttings, then you avoid this because you are cloning exactly the same plant that it was in the wild. But maybe by having only one, you may be not able to produce it at a later date and this will be necessary if you want to reintroduce the plant in the wild. It sounds like you need a lot of judgment and just knowledge to figure out what's going on. Yeah, as I say, I mean, there is a lot of knowledge to do, but it's more important that you get the basis and the understanding of where you want to get or, or what you you can achieve. Right. So, I mean, we've come this far without talking about uh, what is now your favorite plant. I know it's kind of like picking children, but, um, <laughs> but we haven't talked about water lilies yet. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that will be my favorite type of plant. You know, one of them uh, is quite difficult, this thing, because uh, with plants also something that happens is like there is this type of plants that they are always in the back of your head. Plus, there is all these other ones which just pop up, you know, like, oh, you know, you read something or you find some interesting plant and then there is a new gateway for you to, to learn there and there is something new which you find amazing and there is always this these newcomer plants, you know, like they, they, they come to your head for the first time, maybe. Um, because believe it or not, uh, you know, the, uh, I've been working for this on years and I was always fascinated, but it never stops uh, amazing me. You know, there is always another incredible plant I didn't know about it. <laughs> well, there's one water lily in particular whose life you saved, much in the same way that you saved the Café Moron plant. I would love to hear the story of the Nymphaea thermarum. I hope I said that right. The yes, little, yes. little pop star plant, <laughs> if there ever is one who can fit inside a teacup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the case of Nymphaea thermarum, this was discovered only on the on the 80s uh, by a German botanist, Professor Fischer. And then he, he realizes that this plant was only found in this kind of small spot. Basically, the the whole area was less than 50 square meters. You know, you have seen kitchens which are bigger than that. Interestingly, aquatic plants hosting at a faster rate than many other types of plants because usually what happens is that aquatic environments, they become a little bit of islands of water in a, in a sea of land, if you like. It's a bit of the opposite 
of the islands in the sea. So there was only about 50 plants left. So he was clever enough and then uh, transplanted a few plants into Germany as a backup. Then they have this problem in which they produce it easy, they germinate easy, but they didn't have much luck at rising the, the seedlings to maturity. So then uh, I, I can kind of got interested into this case. They told me that it was extremely difficult to grow, that uh, probably I wouldn't be successful. And at that point, then it ticked <laughs> the other box. You know, it's just like, it's difficult and I like it kind of thing. And then uh, I had the same type of results and I start getting a bit frustrated with this. So one day I was cooking at home, actually tortellini, and then looking at the bubbling of the water, I was like going through all these things that affect plant growth, you know, temperature, nutrients, pH, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, miss one of them, which is always being used by plants, but usually with horticulture is we don't give them uh, to them because it's, it's, there is plenty of it. It's the CO2. And then, boom, bingo, that make a big difference. And then I managed to grow the, uh, like about five plants with the last six, seven seeds, which I had from from bomb. So that was there, and then that was that, and then uh, the thing just stayed there. You know, I, I remember, I know, like, this is interesting because this plant perhaps it become staying in a near future. Well, the thing was, the plant, by the time I managed to work out this, uh, the plant was already sitting in the wall, and I didn't know it. Yeah. So that was a bit of like, oh, wow, you know, good job that I didn't find out this until it was done because it may have make my, my, my hand shake a little bit more than usual, you know, when you, you know, that those are the last 10 series you have. So that was a little bit different to, to the case of Ramosmania because in the case of Ramosmania it was like, this is impossible, nobody can make it. And then in one second, when you first see this fruit happening, you know that you have made it. But in this one was like the breakthrough wasn't so much of a firework party, if you like, you know, it was like, oh, good, you know, uh, because you may need this in the future, when actually the truth was uh, we need that last week. Carlos Magdalena's book, The Plant Messiah, is just one adventure after another. And if you have even a passing interest in plants or conservation, I highly recommend it. I, for one, have been hugely inspired to propagate whatever I can get my hands on. So do check it out. As ever, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Till then, take care and stay sharp. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.